Optimize My Life, the ultimate radio show where we unlock the secrets to living our best lives. Now, before we dive into this exciting journey of self-improvement and empowerment, I want to take a moment to thank our incredible sponsor, The Hope Collection, for making this show possible. Their unwavering commitment to spreading hope and positivity in our lives is truly remarkable. We believe in the power of interaction, so we want you to be a part of this incredible journey. Call in, write to us, or connect on social media. We'd love to hear your questions, experiences, and challenges. Together, we'll create a thriving community of like-minded individuals, supporting each other to thrive and shine. Hi guys, give me one minute, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties. Hello. Hello. All right. It Hello. Works. There's always a plan B. <laughs> Thank God for that. That's right. So I'm going to be muting off and on because I have loud kids in the background today. So welcome, everybody, to the launch of Voices of Hope. Brought to you by Chris and the Collective Souls Coalition for Lost Youth, whose mission is to empower families empower families and advocate for parental rights, supporting children in and out of the foster system and platform to amplify voices impacted by the welfare system. So, Chris, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad this is your first show. And you'll be here every Thursday at this time, correct? Yep, I will be here. I'm uh, I'm pretty happy to be here. Uh, at the same time, very nervous, but uh, we'll hope that that doesn't show too much. <laughs> it's not much different than doing a podcast, and it's the same as Hometown Heroes. You know, you were on there. You did phenomenal there. All right. <laughs> So it's just all about what's, uh, you know, talking about, you know, your goals, your missions, and, you know, talking about the impact. You know, one thing that I've been right. hearing a lot of lately is, you know, we all talk about the celebrities and we talk about all these, but we don't talk about the little ones, the school teachers and things like that and how, you know, our foster system is rigged not for success, for failure. Depending on the perspective, yes, it is. It's rigged for failure as far as we're concerned. As far as they're concerned, I, I think it's operated quite well. It's all about the money, right? If we follow the money, then we can find out where the problem lies. And when they try and silence us, then we know 
we found the right person to criticize. And so, that's uh, the sad part today, is that oh, the money. The money involved. <clears throat> that's uh that's the most upsetting part for me is all the uh corruption. That's where it's based is in the cash flow. And it's even worse now that we're privatizing a lot of this stuff. Right. Well, I think it's been <clears throat> been privatized for some time. Uh, you can go as far back as uh, 1872, the industrial schools, where foster care really kind of was born. Even then, it was a horrible situation for the indigenous peoples of the world, but it seems that uh, they've gone as far as they can with focusing just on the colored folks of the planet. I think we're moving on to uh, all the rest now. Take them where they can get them. You know, that's like a big target right now, our special needs kids. Right. Easy to take advantage of. All right, give me one quick second. I'm going to change formats here. Where are we going? <laughs> Did I lose you? Hey, there we go. Sorry. All right. I had to switch from my computer to my phone. So you didn't hear a kid screaming in the background. Gotcha. Hello there, Chris. No. <laughs> Hello? Hi, Chris. Hey, who's that? My name's Jay. I was listening to your show. I'm actually a child welfare consultant and former CPS investigator. Um, I wanted to actually talk about how CPS is funded. You brought that up as really the major nexus point. Let's talk. Yeah. Look, it's you know it's it's really interesting. You see a lot of fam, you know, a, a lot of people, especially in the anti-CPS crowd, who will go and say that CPS workers uh, get paid to remove kids, and you know it's all about kids for cash. And what I typically say is, there is some truth to it. Because technically, mm-hmm. no, you don't have CPS workers who are getting handed a brown envelope with a bunch of cash or a paycheck, uh, you know, and there's nothing that's going into direct deposit that says for the, you know, for the removal of the kids or 
you know, anything like that. <laughs> I, I would no hope not. <laughs> actual bonus on paper there. Well, it's a, right. unfortunately, it's a really common theme. You know, just, I hear it spewed a lot. Uh, look, if, uh, you know, if I was getting, you know, if I was getting bonuses for stuff like that, you know, I wouldn't have been living on the edge <laughs> back when right. I conducted CPS investigations. Thankfully, now I help families prepare for and navigate uh, CPS cases through CPS Protect Consulting Services. But right. it, it, this was another life. And it took a lot of time. <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, to actually figure out who all the players are, who the powers that be are, truly. Uh, because those on the front line really are just a very small cog in a very large system. But They're unfortunately, the this is what... Uh, well, yes, essentially. This, yeah. Because those that are on the front line are the essentially client-facing individuals. So these are the representations of the child welfare system that ordinary citizens see every day. They don't see right. everybody else behind the scenes. Uh, and so they... Right. And, and for better hey, for Jay, let me, let me ask you this. Let me, let, let's get this straight. They, <laughs> they are the ones that are also expendable, right? When, when reports are made in the ghetto where violence happens, where crime happens, these are the ones that are facing the danger, the expendables, right? Well, the unspoken rule is if you're not on Epstein's client list, then you're expendable. But <laughs> uh, yeah. the, what it comes down to is, you know, there's a good amount of understanding, especially in, anti in the anti-CPS crowd, of Title IV funding. Uh, that being Title IV, the, the Social Security uh, Social Security Act, and specifically the Title IV E provisions or prevention services, which sound much better than they actually are, foster care and adoption. Uh, just to simplify, right. just to simplify it, that's where the, the those are the law, that's the law that basically sets the rules for federal subsidies uh, for these state and municipal services. Now, in terms of uh, getting back to what I said about there is some truth to, uh, to the, the whole kids for cash thing, is that these, uh, the way that you grow a budget is you spend almost everything that you're allocated for the year, or you spend absolutely everything. So you want to make sure you have as little left over as possible because then you can go and you can essentially beg and say, well, now we need more money. You know, this right. isn't enough to do the job that we already do. And that's how you grow a budget in perpetuity when you're talking about civil service and politics. And so what's going on is you have to be able to spend that. And you have, on one hand, prevention services, foster care case management. This is really, uh, you know, foster care case management is basically, you know, a child gets placed in foster care. Uh, 
then obviously the one doing the investigations can't just hold on to everything, so they have someone else do it. Now, typically, prevention right. services and foster care case management are outsourced to what are known as 501c4 nonprofit contractors. And 501c4 is an IRS classification uh, for a very specific type of nonprofit. These are nonprofit social service agencies. So these are not charities, which are classified by the IRS as 501c3. 501c4s, they do have (laughs) revenue. No, they don't actually have a profit. They have to invest everything back in the firm. Uh, Sorry, in the agency. But what essentially happens is the C-suite gets paid in bonuses and they give some pittance down to, you know, uh, some others too to make sure that they spend everything. Now, the question becomes, well, how do these agencies get these contracts? And the answer is politics. They bid, they make friends, they fraternize with the bureaucrats, and, uh, you know, if they get friendly enough, they get a really, really large lucrative contract. If you haven't noticed, uh, anything done by the government costs about 10 times more than things that are done in the private sector. And this is part of the reason. And so when you have these these enormous contracts, yes, there is, uh, there are individuals who benefit. And on the CPS investigator side, you have public sector unions, which are, uh, I'm not anti-union personally, but public sector unions, it's, uh, they give the illusion that they're bargaining with an agency. When you look at a private sector union like SAG-AFTRA that represents Hollywood or you look at uh, the Airline Pilots Union or the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers. These are private sector unions that are bargaining with a private uh, entity, corporation, company, whatever it is. Now, public sector unions, uh, they're bargaining with the government, but the government runs on taxpayer money, purely taxpayer money. So what ends up happening is, they're spending other people's money. So they're not bargaining with a private company with their own money and everything else that they're spending. They're essentially bargaining against the taxpayer. And that's a yeah. very little secret. So when, when the union representing CPS, uh, the CPS workers, is essentially bargaining with the government for their salaries, yeah, they're doing, they're doing some of the same stuff which is why government jobs in general uh, tend to pay more than the private sector for an equivalent level position, Uh, you know, along with uh, various perks like pensions. You really won't find pensions in the public sector for the most part. Those are real rarities. That's typically limited to the government. You may hear, uh, you know, hear people from time to time on the news talk about the pension bubble and its impending burst. And, there is some truth to that. So what ends up happening is a lot of politicians, they'll make these very long-term contracts with these unions or these agencies because, well, as long as I can kick the can down the road long enough to the point that I'm no longer in office, next time this comes up for discussion, well, it's no longer my problem. You know, so it's just the my successor's problem. Uh, right. And so it's... <laughs> 
you know, it's entities like Union, which isn't really talking to its own frontline front line workers. It's these, it's these 501c4 nonprofit contractors, uh, you know, that are really inflating the, inflating the actual cost. And that's where you could make the argument that, well, yeah, the, through these negotiations and the salaries that are paid and for what they have to do, there is, there is some truth to it. You could also look at the fact that a lot of the money that, you know, at the federal <laughs> that's, that's level. That's all I really need is from, some truth to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, at the federal <laughs> level, you have some uh, nonprofit charities like the Annie E. Casey Foundation, uh, for example, is one uh, that donate very heavily uh, to politicians and fund their own vision of what the child welfare system looks like. And they're really the top of the child right. welfare food chain. Uh, so, you know, yeah. it's a very, you know, the, you know, I don't really like the overly simplistic vision of how, you know, you know, how the child welfare system actually works in this regard, it, it, just because it's very easy to uh, for the child uh, for the government to create a rebuttal to that that says oh no don't uh, we don't give bonuses for that we just take you know the money that we need to you know to do what we're mandated to do uh and right. most people who don't actually have skin in the game they're going to be like well that's a logical explanation so uh, you know and then call it a day you actually want people right. to care about something like this you have to actually break it down. You have to actually explain these nuances. And it's not as if right. I recognized all this instantly. It took a while for me to go down the rabbit hole uh, to really sure. actually yeah. understand this, that we shrouded, you know, in a lot of, you know, a lot of that stuff. So, you know, I understand how it can be really difficult to actually explain this, actually break it down when understanding the child welfare system is like understanding the tax code. <laughs> Right. If you've read the entire tax code, you've probably wasted most of your life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I have a question. Uh, so is here? the Child Protection Center and social services, are they really that decompartmentalized to the point where one category don't talk to another category that doesn't communicate with the next? You know what I mean? So uh, no one, one doesn't know what the other hand's doing. That's a big rumor that I've heard. Uh, it is, uh, in my experience, it's more of willful ignorance and plausible deniability. Uh, the best way that I can describe it is that uh, child protective services agencies are no different than the IRS or the DMV. Really, the only difference, practically speaking is that, you know, is the subject matter. Uh, so, yes, when you go to the DMV and the line is as long as, you know, you know is, is extremely long it's, and you're waiting on that for an hour only to find out that you have to wait in another line. Uh, you have the same inefficiencies. You have the same uh, contempt for you. You have the same uh, I'm going to do only as much as I have to do attitude. 
uh, that is inherent in many uh, of the alphabet soup of executive branch agencies and government. So when you file a complaint, it has all the space in the world to get off. There you go. Oh, oh, gee. <laughs> I was right again. Well, oh. <laughs> well, well, uh, well, I like to say it gets put in the circular file. You know, a lot of you know, yeah. a, a lot of families think the the ombudsman who accepts the complaint, who accepts complaints of you know misconduct and this and that, is great. And in reality, look, you know, it is a good thing that it exists. The problem is they don't really have the legal authority to impose their recommendations or their findings on the child welfare system. And so what that comes down to is essentially the liability first culture that is child welfare. And if actually adhering to those recommendations creates more liability for them, they have no interest in adhering to them. That will then in turn lose some funding, would it not? Well, look, that's, you know, this is literally what I designed CPS Protect Consulting Services for as the equalizer. Uh, You know, what I will say (laughs) is the challenge is truly raising awareness, especially because when I talk about what I do, you know, and helping families prepare for and navigate CPS cases, let's say, uh, let's say I'm at a get-together with friends or I'm networking. It's like, oh, that's really nice. That's what you do, but that's so depressing. Can we talk about something else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not allowed to talk about what I do when uh, we're within company. Oh, well, because social graces dictate that normally you don't want to be the guy who brings the rest of the, uh, brings the tone of the room down for everybody else. Right. Oh, so, yeah, well, then maybe they really, should help me bring the tone of the world up. Good luck with that. <laughs> good luck, good with, luck that. with that. That's my, what uh, I get. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Foley, my hero. I'm working on it. Okay. Okay. One day. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, you know, I assume this won't happen in my lifetime, so I'll let you know where I'm buried so you can visit me and uh, make sure you let me know as soon as you've achieved world peace. Okay. I'll let you know. <laughs> well, did that answer your question, Mary? Yes, sir, it did. So basically, there's no checks and balances. There's uh, checks. That's no balance. <laughs> it, it, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely correct. that the, the checks and balances, practically speaking, they don't exist. In theory, they do. But unfortunately, if theory doesn't translate to practice, theory doesn't mean squat. I picked up in a, on, a, on a keyword in that. What's that? The same one I did? The same one I did, theory? Uh, uh, no, no. I'm so- Shrouded. 
shrouded. A lot of it seems to be shrouded in other things, and that bothers me. That is uh, – well, welcome to Civics 101. And then people want to argue uh, about how this system works well, how the people that are considered professionals in society today have, you know, the smart folk have apparently been sitting around watching society crumble and not doing anything about it or encouraging it, it seems, all for the love of money. Well, how do you admit that your vision for utopia isn't working and you have no plan B? Well, you can. You just have to be man enough to admit failure. The higher you climb... Instead of coming up with more lies. Say that again. Well, the issue... The issue is, the higher you climb, the further you fall. And if you admit, in the toxic world that is politics, if you go and admit failure, guess what? You fall, and you fall hard. Because the way politics works is it's mostly quid pro quo. It's mostly tit for tat. It's, you scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours. So in order to get into any position of power... You have to – you end up owing a heck of a lot of people. Anybody who gets into office and is able to fund an election or get appointed to a, to a high point, one of the things that they've done is they basically uh, – they funded it by basically selling, by basically selling, their, selling their policy position. They've literally been bought up by everybody's mm-hmm. bank rolling their campaign or right. their rise through the ranks. So what happens is you are literally indebted to other people in power, and if you don't do what they want, when they call, when they call in their favor that you owe them, you're done. Right. And so, by the, so, so anyone who gets into those positions of power, their hands are essentially tied. Right. They don't have any – they have very little, if any, autonomy left if they want to keep, uh, keep what they've made for themselves. So if – you're not right the first time in everything you've done and everyone that you've, accept, you've accepted money from, guess what? You deviate from that and everybody else's own self-interest who is propping you up and you are coming crashing down with no mercy. Your life is over. So, yeah, it's easy for someone like you or I to say, not so easy for them. Now, it, it, that doesn't excuse what they do, but take a walk in their shoes for a minute. You spent years, you spent decades building this. You want to come crashing down and be on the streets again? I think it's probably their turn. But they're not doing anything good. I haven't seen anything good. Has anybody seen anything good? There's something terribly wrong with this country. Somebody needs to take a fall. I don't agree. Because we've hurting us. Us little people have been taking the fall for far too long now. 
I don't disagree with you. It's uh, it, it's true, but the idea that someone is going to go against their own self-interest and willingly take the fall and sacrifice themse- themselves and their children and their livelihoods and everything else is silly. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, it's what it's a side of human nature that is not necessarily a moral good. But it is part of the human condition. It is part of what makes us human. Sometimes that's for the better, and sometimes that's for the worse. In this case, it is definitely for the worse, but it is what makes us human. Uh, I admit, it's hard to reconcile. Uh, you know, uh, reconcile this, where two things can be true at once. Someone can, you know, someone can be terrible in not basically sacrificing themselves, and someone can also be human by refusing to sacrifice themselves and just as human as you or I. Um, but it happens it, ha- it happens to be true. It, 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 still do, it still doesn't excuse it. But if you were in that position, I can't imagine, you know, that you, uh, that you or even I would just destroy everything we've built because it's not utopia. We well, no, of course I wouldn't I try destroy. To <laughs> I wouldn't destroy everything myself, but if I was in a position of power and allowing things to go on that are inherently point, I would expect somebody to hold me accountable for those actions. It uh, depends on who they it have. Depends on who self. They they have held me accountable for my actions. Why is it that three-quarters of America can be held accountable for their actions, but as soon as you reach a certain pay grade, that ends? And I've watched this firsthand from from people here locally in Florida in courtrooms that have daddies with lots of money that do really dumb things and get to walk out of a courtroom with a smack on the wrist while others are getting jail time for such matters. Because with right? that pay grade, unfortunately, right, with that pay grade comes power and connections. And if the people that are propping you up have more power and connections than the people trying to take you down, more often than not, the one with the, more, uh, with the power and the connections is going to weather the storm a lot more easily. And even if you're not talking about power, let's talk about uh, families and CPS cases. If you have the money to afford a, good, a really good attorney in perpetuity, a private attorney, if you can fund a, you know, an attorney to the tune of two, $5 million and call it pocket change, you're going right. to do a heck of a lot better than someone who of course. doesn't have money for a, pri- for a private attorney at all, you know, has, you know, for has nothing more than court-appointed counsel. So right. in, in, that, you know, in that sense, yes, you know, those that have more means are going to have an easier time. There's even another analogy in business that you can use. You could go and say that, uh, you know, if you can pay for PR and for marketing, if you can spend that infinitum, on that, you're going to have a much easier time than if you have to go out and network and post on social media and learn to sell. 
distractingly. So, yeah. So, in uh, reality, my, uh, you just uh, proved my point for me. Uh, you know, that, <laughs> that you can't, you cannot succeed unless you have the connection, money, and power. This child problem that we're having is not based on anything that people really believe that it is. It's not based on color. It's not based on. Okay, go ahead. Let me clarify that. Let me clarify uh, okay. that because uh, you know I think you're missing a point. Is no. If you want to, <laughs> it, we'll see about that. If you want okay. to do something that is not sanctioned by the government, you have to have the money and the connections to do it. If, as long as it is sanctioned by the government, you can do whatever you want, independent of your socioeconomic class. So when it comes to a lot of the things that we do enjoy that are sanctioned by the government, for example, um, you know, streaming services and, uh, you know, all the advertisements that we see on TV, uh, you know, we're free, you know, we're free to experience this stuff. All the welfare benefits are sanctioned by the government, Um, you know. Uh, you just saw Apple with the iPhone. They were just forced to switch to USB uh, to, to USB C from the Lightning port. Uh, that was uh, because the European Union crammed that down on Apple, and they didn't want to have two different uh, manufacturing lines. That would have been even more expensive for them. So they just switched to the USB Type C port uh, instead of the Lightning port, which was used to charge before. Uh, so that's sanction. So Apple could only. I still hear you proving my point. Yeah, but I'm talking about this in the context of a corporation. Is that uh, Apple is a uh, you know it's worth <laughs> over a trillion dollars, and still mm-hmm. the European Union forced them to ch- force them to change a port because they didn't like what they were doing. So. Mm-hmm. As long as something is sanctioned by the government, you can do it independent of your socioeconomic class. Your point is that you need money and power or you can't do, or you can't do anything. As long as the government has an interest. So if you find that they have an interest in, dismiss, you know, in dismissing your case or unsubstantiating your case, uh, then yes, you can do it. And there are plenty of circumstances where families are able to successfully navigate it because there have been innovations uh, that the regulators and the powers that be in government haven't been able to anticipate. The government is notoriously slow when it comes to being able to regulate or pass any sort of law because there's so much bickering, so much procedure, so much this and that, that it takes time for them to actually catch up to the entrepreneurial spirit of the private sector. So, so, uh, so I would say that there is a lot of merit to what you're saying, but I tend not to like to speak in absolutes because there are plenty of circumstances where that may not be entirely true. 
because if it is true, then what's the point of what's the point of the show? What's the point of talking about it? Anything? Because then nothing will change, and there's nothing that we can do, and therefore we have no agency. Oh, but there is things that we can do. <clears throat> People talk about it all the time. People talk about the fact that it's our duty to do it all the time because power has reached a level where it is nothing but corruption. That depends. I have <laughs> met a few. I met a few CPS investigators who had high integrity. Granted, they did not stay for their. They did not make CPS their entire career. Uh, and well, that's because they had integrity. An where, yeah, it was an environment where they certainly couldn't spend their careers and actually do what they should do with the moral framework that they had. Uh, so they Leave did end back. up leaving. Or they ended up getting, uh, for example, uh, they ended up getting on the wrong end of the stick because then the child welfare system actually went after them because they didn't like, uh, they didn't like uh, the fact that they didn't just stand down and just do a just do everything their superior said exactly the way that their superiors wanted it. Uh, they they actually spoke up, um, and right. yes, uh, you know, I know someone who ended up uh, they didn't like his approach, he was a very good CPS investigator with very high integrity. They removed him from the field, uh, aud- you know, audited him, found a, you know, a, a small error in a note that he made that was different from the, uh, you know, from a prevention services provider about a joint home visit and basically blacklisted him, uh, investigated him for years, basically left him in limbo trying to get him to quit on his own. Uh, It was a real disaster over absolutely nothing, and it was because he kind of challenged his superiors a bit, and this was their way of sending the message of, you don't screw with us. Right. See, there comes that power that I was talking about again. And to move uh, a level up... you know, Go ahead. Think about, think about the traits that you have to have to be successful in government, uh, to be able to, you know, make those campaign promises, um, you know, even if you know you can't actually uh, make them happen, to be that very personable kind of person, to be able to deal with that bureaucracy and focus Liar. on, you know, making these relationships. I, everybody has their way of describing it. I'm trying to be a little more nuanced instead of, you know, I, uh, pissing everybody off. But oh yeah, I don't like to sugarcoat. I'm trying going. to be a little more liberal and politically correct. <laughs> uh, hey, I, yeah, I, I don't like to sugarcoat po- things. <laughs> not it is what correct. it is. Just more, uh, uh, just more nuanced. I can be painting a similar picture without being so explicit about it. Doesn't mean I'm any more politically correct. Just means it's upside of the That's why I'm here. 
I'm the translator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely don't like to sugarcoat things. Uh, that I see that everywhere I go, and I'm done with the candy-coated bullshit. Um, Look, for me, there's a reason I don't have... Things need to change, and they need to change fast. Yeah. Look, there's a reason I don't have my own podcast. I prefer to actually, you know, orchestrate the, you know, orchestrate the solution and while living my quiet life, uh, rather than broadcasting this, uh, I was listening to your show and you brought, you brought up something interesting and it definitely compelled me to call in. Uh, but for me with with CPS protect consulting services, uh, that's uh, cpsprotect.com. You know, I love actually thinking about what the child welfare system hasn't thought of yet and how to actually uh, help families successfully navigate uh, these cases. Because the truth is, you know, the few free options that may be available, the occasional attorney who will do a pro bono case, they're very picky. You usually have to know somebody. The nonprofits that offer some of this stuff for free is a tax write-off. Uh, they, you know, the demand always exceeds the supply by, by hundreds of magnitudes. So there are a lot of people who don't get anything, and that's what, it, what happens. It creates, uh, right. you know, it creates two classes, uh, those that are lucky enough to get the free help and everybody else is left hung out to dry. I mean, the truth is that uh, help with the child welfare system today needs to be lower cost. And if you can lower the cost enough uh, and offer something effective enough and, uh, and make it scalable, then you have the potential to offer something else to everybody. Because the truth is nothing in life is really right. free. Either, you know, it's taxpayer-funded and the government is sanctioning it uh, or – there are costs that come to it and somebody's got to fund it and either the funders have, you know, you know, and the funders be, you know, if they're going to give the money, those typically come with strings attached and they get to decide within reason how that money is actually spent. Uh, and so right. if you, uh, you know, generally speaking, you know, any product or service, if you want it fast and cheap, it's going to be low quality. If you want it fast and high quality, it's not going to be cheap. If you want it high quality and cheap, it's not going to be fast. Uh, you can, uh, the point is, out of quality, speed, and, um, uh, and price, you can only have two out of three. Right. At most. That's, uh, that's what I do at CPS Protect Consulting Services. Because if you beat the regulators to the punch, you can offer something better. You can make the world a better place, and you don't have to leave people out. Right. That is the vision for a better world, is if I can't beat, you know, if I can't convince the government to cooperate, then I can always compete. Right. Uh, and decent competition there. And yeah. it, right. And innovating uh, to find something 
better. I mean, we even offer a free guide on our website on how to navigate your first encounter with CPS successfully. You know, the, the I've actually read that. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, that's that's great. That's great. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, I wish that everyone would read it, just because if they did, especially even before, you know, CPS even got its boots on the uh, boots on the ground, families would be in a much better position to get through it. A lot of times, it's I'm so caught off guard. You know, what do I do? I don't want the worst to happen. And that's it's right after that train of thought that families tend to make their first mistake. Uh, so it's been a pleasure being on your show. Uh, I might call in again at some point in the future. Um, I wish you the best, Chris. Appreciate it, Jake. Uh, this is a really Thank great you. platform. Are you on oh, we appreciate social media? It, uh, yes, I am. Uh, oh, yeah, he's you, uh, would you go to Optimize My Life Facebook group and post your stuff on there so people who are listening can access your information? Yes, absolutely. Will do. Thank you. You're well, welcome. I think one Take of the care. things that we need, especially mm-hmm. with CPS, is more of a foundation of standards instead of it being in the eyes of the beholder. Because, for mm-hmm. instance, you know, for me, I was 19 years old with a child that had medical issues. And I was easier for me to work bartending overnight, so I only had to work four days a week instead of a buttload. And because CPS deemed that was not a respectable occupation for a mother, even though the bar I worked at was frequented by senators and representatives and the governor of of the state of Minnesota. But they were trying to force me to quit a job that I could afford to work at. Oh, man. Okay, so I think I found the group. It's Optimize My Life with Hope There is Freedom Uplifting Live Talk Show. Yes, sir. Okay, so... Let's enter this. Uh, okay. Uh oh. So, uh. But if you get enough. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, I was just wondering <clears throat> um, what uh, job did they expect you to take? and uh, raise your Anything. son at the same time. You're, you were a single mom, oh, correct? I, yeah, correct. Yeah. I was a single mom in the National Guard. So by military standards, my job had to have been a respectable job approved by the military. You can't be a stripper and be in the Army. Right. But to them, I had to stock shelves at the grocery store for below, or minimum wage instead of coming home with a couple hundred bucks a night. Because making drinks was a bad thing. Right. Even though I don't drink. Makes makes perfect sense. Doesn't it? 
Especially because they work. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you can tell the sarcasm. Right. Yeah, you're not, <laughs> oh, not missing any of his life. And Irish. I breathe. I'm, t- I'm t- sarcastic. It's hard to not <laughs> be sarcastic. All right. That's good. We'll get along. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, the caller, you had a good point, you know, getting people that politicians don't want to speak out only because um, you look at Trump. He didn't play the puppet with the puppet master. So now they're going after him for everything under the sun. Uh, I just posted uh, our official website, Facebook, X, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. And, yes, uh, you're absolutely right. Many uh, civil servants are afraid to speak out. Uh, especially in the ch- uh, when it comes to child welfare, because a lot of them, they burn out very quickly. Uh, they don't want to think about what happened. They just want to move on with their life, whether they've pivoted in social services or they've pivoted to, uh, to another industry. In addition, there are conflict of interest laws that, in theory, are designed to uh, prevent corruption. They don't do a great job of that, but they're intended to prevent corruption, but they make it more difficult to speak out than it otherwise would be because there are real serious consequences for violating those conflict of interest laws. Yeah, my question is, is how many dead children do we need to find in basements and buried in yards, which really does happen Mm -hmm. before anyone is going to do anything about anything? I mean, it's sad when a three-year-old disappears and they find him buried underneath the floorboards of a house and no one knew anything. So look at the story of that mom that was a YouTube influencer. Mm. The family didn't do anything. It took the kid escaping and asking for help for someone to finally help him. And everybody knew what was going on. Right. Uh, well, at the, you know, at the same time, we see that when CPS acts, there are, you know, kids, you know, kids can get hurt. I mean, most kids who, uh, go, uh, who end up being sex trafficked come out of foster care uh, domestically speaking, uh, but at the same time, when CPS doesn't act and something happens, we get just as outraged. And when Child Protective Services and Parental Rights are in direct opposition, here's the problem we run into: uh, is we end up uh, the government obviously has to act, or the governor is going to lose his next election, and you know heads are going to roll because they should have seen this and they didn't, uh, and so they do what is in their control. They basically give CPS more authority to act more quickly. So in that sense, uh, basically the child welfare system, we expect that they'll operate, you know, that they'll be right 100% of the time without flaw, and they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. And so what ends up happening is, uh, you know, if the consequences – are skewed to 
uh, if they don't act than if they do, then what you end up with is, oh, this is a really minor safety concern, but now we need to have some exaggerated response because we have to do something because if we don't, we're going to get penalized. We could go to jail. We could lose our you know, our career could be over mm-hmm. the whole nine yards. And then that causes problems. But it's like, well, I just did my part of the job. I don't know what this, you know, how this ended up happening. So that's not my fault. Uh, and this is where, you know, what I said earlier, this is where we come full circle to, back to the liability first culture. And so this is the question we end up having to ask is what kind, you know, uh, how, um, how many, uh, how many deaths from child maltreatment are we willing to accept in a free society? And if we're not willing to accept any, how much of our parental rights are we willing to give up to ensure that? Because the problem is, going to, and I truly believe this, is that we need to start holding mandated reporters more responsible. The kids that go to the teachers, the kids that go to the to their to somebody who ask for help, beg for help, and they just get a pat on the back and say, okay, we'll do something, but they never do anything. They never look into it. They never do, you know, it's not so much GPS in itself. It's the the reporters that are supposed to mandate that don't do anything. But you have that opposite argument as well. Right. Mandated reporting. The issue is that if they don't actually just report every little thing, even if it's not, and just, you know, even if it's not something and they, ju- you know, and they let, you know, and they make that decision themselves instead of letting CPS make that assessment, then they could lose their license to practice. They could lose their livelihood, their careers, their job, and they only have to be wrong once. And so the safest thing for them to do is just report, 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 because if they don't, they're getting in a boatload of trouble. And so, yes, there are serious issues with mandated reporting laws. Uh, I agree with you there. Uh, but also, if you get rid of that, if you get rid of that mandate, there may also go some cases, some, some cases of child abuse may actually go unreported. And we may not, we, we may not actually get to them in time. And children may die too. So the question is, where is the middle ground and who should be making the decision as to what that middle ground is? Should it be you or me? Should it be the people in the government? Who should it be? Because we have mandatory reporters. We do, but a lot of them don't do it. Uh, But we have ones that do do it. Like look at the case of Gabriel Fernandez, his teacher, his principal, everybody. Neighbors, family members, they all made reports, and CPS didn't listen in that case. So it's, yep. we have to, grouping it together into one thought process isn't really solving a problem because it's this human thought process that gets involved in these cases throwing them out continuously, either by a mandatory reporter's fault, uh, angry parent's fault, or a CPS worker's fault. It, it, it all depends on whether or not these 
people involved are competent human beings or and or don't suffer from some sort of narcissism. Well, I'll I'll leave you with this. Who gets to measure competency? And I don't know it, who, you know, but somebody needs to. It's it, it, you know it, it's not meant to be answered. It's you know it's a rhetorical question. It's meant to be it's meant to be food for thought. Chris, it's been a pleasure being on your show. Um, <laughs> Thanks, I Dave. will definitely call in again at some point. Uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you very much, and thanks for calling in. Appreciate what you're doing out there, Jay. We're here every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Wow. That was a fast hour. (laughs) It was. (laughs) It was easy, too. I'm glad it went that well. I told you. What do you think? That's That's why I love talk radio. It goes by fast. Right. And it just flowed. Yeah, it did. It was all right. No complaints. With a great unexpected guest. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting anybody to call in, but there he was. I have to uh, call out my mother because I asked her to listen tonight. I hope she's listening. She said she, it wasn't a good time for her because that's when she let her bird out of the cage. But, uh, oh, <laughs> my mother. Like I said, hey, they live by listening. schedules and timelines. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, that's a wrap for tonight, huh? It is. Thank you for yeah. joining us. So, uh, we'll. <sighs> Okay. And join we'll us tomorrow at noon. I'm sorry, what? Oh, I was just saying, we'll see you all next Thursday. Yes, yeah, see us. We'll be back next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern and see us at noon tomorrow with Captain Len Kane. The man, the myth, the legend. And it's finishing up right. our 9-11 week talking about the impact that 9-11 had on society, and we're going to talk to some soldiers, me included, that were at Ground Zero during that horrible day. Cool. You were actually there, huh? I was part of search and rescue team after the towers went down. Appreciate your efforts. Thank you. And um, the president of the Hope Collection, Ron, his, he was actually going through the tu- right before he went into the tunnels when the tower hit, was hit. Right. And ironically, our Monday night host, his mom was an airline stewardess, and she was supposed to have been on the, one of those planes, but she got called in sick. So she didn't make it. Well. I guess that's a good thing. She got called in sick. Yep. So. All so, right. Well. Have a good night. You too. We'll talk to you again soon. And we will talk this weekend. All righty. All right. Bye.
With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.